right. Praise the Lord. Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? We get some lights. Praise the Lord. All right. Now you can see me. Praise the Lord. Everybody's doing well this morning. Everybody's so excitable this morning. Woo! All right. <laughs> all right. Um, we're going to be looking in uh, Revelation chapter seventeen. So if you want to turn there. And um, I've been doing a series on the end, and um, the Bible Bible is very clear on certain events that are going to happen at the end of um, this age that we live in. How many are aware of that? And so there are lots of prophecies that give us really good information so we know what to expect. And the Lord does that because He doesn't want us to be afraid. He doesn't want us to have fear, doubts. Um, He doesn't want us to be confused. And in spite of all the Lord has done to make sure that doesn't happen, guess what often happens? We're afraid, we have doubts, we have fears, and we just simply don't know prophecy. And prophecy literally is the Word of God telling you in grand detail what's going to happen so we're not on the wrong side of history. How many like to be on the right side of history? If the Bible tells you there's a winner and a loser, how many know we should be on the side of the winner? And at the very end, there is one that is righteous. There is one that comes with the armies of heaven, and he is the winner. He's the victor. He's got victory over death. He's got victory over hell. And how many people don't know the last chapter of the book? And so we need to know, and we need to be able to proclaim it, And so this morning, I'm going through different scenarios of the end, and this is my fifth part of this series, and the last time I preached was two weeks ago, and I was going over the two beasts of Revelation, and I'm going to continue in that vein this morning. In fact, I read about the first beast of Revelation 13, and that first beast in Revelation 13 is explained in great detail in Revelation 17. So familiarize yourself with that because you're going to be responsible. You can't take me to work with you. Amen. How how many think that's a good thing? Well, Cyril, you might be able to, but you can't say I'll bring my pastor and he can explain to you what's going to happen in the end. How many know that we've got to know this stuff and you say, well, man, I don't, I don't know it. I don't, we got to know it. We got to be able to proclaim the good news and the good news is he won. The good news is the things that are happening at the end mean he's almost ready to set up his kingdom. When we hear the end, we shouldn't say, oh, no. In fact, we hear the end and we hear seven-year tribulation. All of a sudden we go, oh, man, I just... And, and, and Christians are sad. Oh, the tribulation, the Antichrist. The, that's not what that book is about. That book is called The Revelation of Jesus Christ, meaning Jesus Christ is going to reveal His kingdom. There's a one world government that's going to be set up that is successful and lasts forever, and it's not going to be the Antichrist. 
The Bible says that the Antichrist has a fragile kingdom that never works. It doesn't last but a few years and he's gone. And it says even in the midst of that kingdom being set up, Jesus is setting up thrones all over the world and he's about ready to rule and reign. And some of us don't know that message and we're not proclaiming it. People are curious today. Um, there's no subject in the world right now that people are more curious about than the end times. And we don't even know about it. We don't know how to explain it to people. Sometimes we do, but more times than not, how many agree? We don't know. So when we talk about the beast of, that comes out of the sea in Revelation 13.1, this is the kingdom that's going to be set up in the last days. There is going to be an antichrist kingdom that's going to be set up on this earth in the last days, and he's going to attempt to rule the entire world. In fact, these two beasts, uh, John does what's called a parenthetical narrative. He inserts a narrative into Revelation because he's going to explain to us in the middle of the unveiling of this seven-year period where the end of it is, Christ's kingdom set up on this earth. He's going to rule the entire earth. Jesus Christ is. Did you hear me? Jesus Christ, by the end of the seven-year period, will set up his kingdom on this earth And it's going to be done. And so as we get closer to that seven-year period, guess how I feel about it? Because before that seven-year period, the the church is going to be raptured. We are sure as I am standing here going to be raptured before that seven-year period. And by the end of the seven-year period, we're going to come with him. And it says the armies of heaven will be with him as he sets his kingdom up on this earth. And he'll return to the earth and he'll set up his kingdom. And if we're right with God, we'll be with him. But the Bible says that there's going to be an antichrist kingdom in that seven year period and it's going to be a quick work and the antichrist is going to set up the kingdom and it's personified by this beast that's coming out of the sea and then there's a beast that's coming out of the earth and the Bible is using these beasts or these animals to paint like a child's picture. It's a narrative to explain the cast of characters that we're going to see in the last days. And so what easier way to explain the book of Revelation than just a picture? The Bible's trying to be as simple as possible to explain a very complicated thing. Okay, so the Bible is going to show us an animal coming out of the sea. And that's going to explain to us what the Antichrist kingdom is going to look like in the last days when it finally comes. Now let me give a disclaimer here. There's going to be a generation where this kingdom will be established. It may or may not be our generation, but we need to know what it looks like and what it, uh, what its description is, what it looks like, what it's going to be like. So when those kind of things begin to transpire, which I believe they are now, then we'll recognize it. We got to be, how many know we need to be able to recognize what's going on in the world around us? And so we've got to have this picture in our mind of what John is explaining. And in order to understand the picture he's explaining, we've got to follow this theme through the Bible. And so two weeks ago, what I did is I started reading out of Daniel because Daniel is a key way to understand these two beasts. So I'm going to start with Revelation 13. 
It says the dragon, which I told you two weeks ago was who? Anybody remember who the dragon was? The dragon was that old serpent, Satan. And Revelation chapter 12 speaks about a great, enormous red dragon. In fact, John says in Revelation 12, a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and the crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant, cried out in pain. She was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads, ten horns, and seven crowns on the heads. And that's symbolism. It's a picture. Can you see the picture in your mind of this woman about to give birth and this enormous dragon ready to devour the woman and her offspring? And so the Bible clarifies through the book of Revelation that this is Satan. And all through history, guess what Satan has tried to do? There has been a plan, and that plan has been for Jesus to rule and reign on this earth. God had a plan from the book of Genesis until now. And that plan was he was going to save man. He was going to save mankind. And he was going to do it through a Savior. God himself was going to come on this earth. And the Bible says in Genesis 3.15, the first prophecy, says that the, the fruit of this, or the seed of this woman will come and crush the head of the serpent. And so that old serpent from the very beginning, God had a plan. And the plan was there was going to be one person and one person only that could crush Satan and rule and reign on this earth and make it what God intended it to be. How many know this is not what God intended? God didn't intend an earth to be scarred with sin, sickness, death, and tears. How many know that? The Bible says that God placed eternity in our hearts. The Bible says we understand that this is not. How it was supposed to be sin entered into the world. And the answer and the remedy for sin is I'm going to send my son and he's going to crush the serpent and he's going to set up his kingdom on this earth. So that's what Revelation is completing the story. And so we see um, in, in Daniel chapter or Revelation chapter 13, it says the dragon stood on the shore. This is Satan of the sea. And I saw a beast coming out of the sea. It had ten horns. Seven had ten crowns on the horns, and on each had a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like a bear and a mouth like a lion, and the dragon gave the beast power, his throne, and great authority. And so here's another picture. And you say, man, I don't understand that. How many of you can say that? I don't understand that. And you've got to look at these different symbols. But picture this. I don't even know if I can picture this. A dragon is standing on the shore of the sea. Okay, I can see an enormous red dragon. Can you see that? That's simple. Okay, now I see something coming out of the sea that has ten horns, seven heads, ten crowns on its horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. So on each of his seven heads, what is a blasphemous name? Meaning it's something that is cursing God. Cutting down God, making God look like he's not God, right? Something that does not like God, hates God, is opposed to God, is against God. How many see that in our culture? There's so many that are opposed and against and aren't for God and just blasphemous toward God in his name. And, and this animal personifies it. So it has, so we got to figure out what are the ten horns, what are the seven heads, 
what do the crowns symbolize? But this is a wild-looking beast, right? Can you picture it? A dragon on the shore and then this beast. And it says, the dragon gave the beast his power, his throne, and his great authority. So how are these two connected, the dragon and the beast? The beast gets his authority from Satan himself. And so this is a kingdom. These beasts, as we'll begin to realize, are kingdoms that are on the earth. And so these are kingdoms that are giving authority from Satan. Do you remember Satan tried to tempt Jesus? And so I'll give you the kingdoms of this world. How in the world could he make that offer unless he had kingdoms? And so he's offering kingdoms, but Jesus knowing that every kingdom and every authority would be under him eventually didn't accept the offer because he was not willing to receive a kingdom from the enemy because everything would be under his authority and under his feet one day. And he knew that. So he, at that time, did not have any interest. Then it says the other beast in Revelation 13, this starts in verse 11. It says, I saw a second beast coming out of the earth that had two horns like a lamb, but spoke like the dragon. Looks like a lamb and speaks like a dragon. You ever seen a little baby lamb? How cute they are? And then he's like, You're like, oh, well, I didn't expect that. A little lamb that speaks like a dragon. So it looks harmless, looks good, but then when you speak to it, it's breathing fire at you, okay? It's, it's a not normal lamb, all right? Just look at the picture. It exercised the authority that the first beast on its behalf made the earth and its inhabitants. So the entire earth, it was making worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed and performed great signs causing fire to come down from heaven to the earth in full view of the people because the signs... It was given power to perform on behalf of the first beast that deceived the inhabitants of the earth. It ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. The second beast was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so the image could speak, cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. It forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on the right hand and their foreheads. So they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. And I talked about two weeks ago how when you look at the implications of this prophecy and you understand the first beast is a world government, a world government that in the end is going to be over the entire world. And the second beast looks like a lamb. And so what we're seeing here is A partnership, a partnership between a religious power and a political power. Does everybody understand that? Am I making this simple enough so far? This lamb that speaks like a dragon is a religious authority that rules the entire world and causes everybody to submit to this world government that rules the entire world. And this is shocking material here. Because for a long time, people didn't understand what these prophecies meant. But what it means is that this beast, second beast, who causes people to bow their knee to the first beast, which is the government, this religious entity forcing the world to submit to this government, 
And if you don't listen and you don't get the mark that they tell you to get, you can't buy or sell or participate in the economy. That's what it's saying in those prophecies. And so for a long time, they didn't know what this meant. They would look at it and they say, well, what is this, a tattoo or, you know, are they branding people or, and then how many know, bring this forward to our generation and all you have to look is legislation just this month. And if you've got your eyes open, church, and I don't have time on a Sunday morning to go through all of the details, but it is in the last hour. It's in the last hour. There's technology right now to mark every human being on the face of the earth. ID 2020, look it up. Digital quantum dot, look it up. Uh, They are hoping to mark every person in the world and they would like to give everybody a credit score based on what they call ESG, environmental social governance. And if you don't comply with the behavior that they want, which can I tell you is not Christian behavior, then they can shut off your money and you say, well, wait a minute, I got $20 bills in my pocket. How can they shut off my money? The goal is to go to a cashless system, put everybody on a digital currency, and shut your money off whenever they feel like you're not complying with the government. And you say, Chad, that is all science fiction. I don't have time on a Sunday morning to give you the details, but you guys know already that I could spend the entire morning with documented news stories from around the world. Okay, China's already doing it. Just look it up. India's on the verge of doing it. The United States would love to do it, but they've got too many gun-carrying Americans and they can't force it upon them right now. So they're desperately trying to remove the 320 million guns that we have in this country compared to the second nation that's close to us, which is what, like 30 million, I think? So now you understand why they want to get rid of that gun-carrying American because it's not so easy to force things on a, a population that can defend themselves, you know. And uh, But church, let's wake up. When you see these things in the Bible begin to come to pass, when Revelation is literally prophesying that there will come a time when there will be a world government they can shut your money off. You can't buy. You can't sell. You have to pay homage to this world government. And there's going to, and then here's the scary thing. There's going to be a religious system enforcing everything. That's what we don't catch sometimes in Revelation 13. The second beast is a lamb. And they're going to give a clearer picture in Revelation 17 of what the second beast is. Because it only says here that it looks like a lamb but sounds like a dragon. Like you don't want to pet that little lamb, right? You pet that little lamb, you're going to really be hurt. You know, that's a fierce little lamb right there. It sounds like a dragon, okay? Just remember that. These pictures are great, aren't they? They really help us, I think. And so we go and we begin to look at Revelation 17. In fact, uh, just to give you a summary of what I covered two weeks ago, because I know it's not easy to remember, but Daniel chapter 2, I'm just going to go through this real quick. Daniel is uh, uh, a young teenager, 
He's in exile in Babylon. Babylon has destroyed Jerusalem. He's been taken as a teenager, as an exile. The king is having disturbing dreams. The king doesn't understand the dreams. And if you want to understand prophecy, understand Daniel, because it's what explains the leopard, the bear, the all these symbolic animals. Daniel really understands it. You say, Chad, I'm not picking this up. You may not. You may understand a few things enough to survive. But uh, the more you hear it, the more you hear it repeated, the more you'll understand it. So don't feel bad if you hear me talking and say, man, I'm not picking all of it up right now. It's taken me 30 years even to get a good understanding. And so you'll pick up a little bit and you'll begin to see the things in the world around us. And you'll, you'll remember, you'll say, hey, I remember him telling me about that in church. And how many know, word of God is just truth. And so the more of it we can consume, but it takes time. A lot of times you just have to repeat it. Over and over and over. And you say, Chad, you repeat yourself all the time. That's why. Because the more we repeat it, the more we understand it. The more we can explain it to other people. And you may understand parts of it. And you may not understand it totally. And you may not be able to explain it totally. But you can come back and say, hey, I was trying to explain it. I didn't do so good the first time. Explain it to me again. And then you can go back to the Word and explain to somebody again and get a little better at it. I mean, no, we need to do this. Hallelujah. So... Daniel chapter 2 is a very important book. He's a teenager. He's in exile in Babylon. He's basically a slave to the Babylonians. And the Babylonian king, who's king over the entire... uh, He's got a worldwide kingdom at this time, right? His name is Nebuchadnezzar. And he is the king of the world. And he's having these terrible dreams. He can't sleep. And uh, the dreams are disturbing. They're troubling. He doesn't know what to do with the dreams. He's restless. How many have ever had nights like that? Amen. You say, well, I just ate some burritos before I went to bed. But this is different. All right. This is uh, Nebuchadnezzar struggling with this dream. He doesn't know what to do with it. So he's actually, now get this, he's threatening to execute everybody on his staff who was a wise person because they didn't know his dream and he wouldn't tell them what it was. So then Daniel steps up as a teenager. This is pretty awesome. He says, Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon. How would you like to be a wise man in Babylon? He was going to execute them because they didn't know the dream that he wouldn't tell them about. This is awesome stuff. Is there a better book than the Bible? And so Daniel said, don't execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king now, and I will interpret his dream for him. This is Daniel 2.24. It says, your majesty looked... And there before you stood a large statue. This is Daniel telling him the dream. Your majesty looked, and there before you stood a large statue. Enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold. The chest and arms were silver. The belly and thighs were bronze. Its legs of iron. Its feet were partly iron and partly baked clay. And so as you begin to look at this, you say, well, man, what is, that's what troubled him. He didn't know what this giant statue was. And then he sees a rock carved out of a mountain, and the rock goes straight at the statue, but it doesn't hit the head, doesn't hit the arms, doesn't hit the belly, doesn't hit the midsection, it hits the feet. And when it hits the feet, it shatters the whole statue. What an awesome dream, right? And so he's confused. He doesn't know. And he says, hey, tell me my dream, but I'm not going to tell anybody. I want to know it's from God. And so Daniel tells him exactly what the dream was. 
And then he says, while you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue at its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on the threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace, but the rock that struck the statue became, remember it was little when it hit the feet, now it became a huge mountain and filled the entire earth. So the rock is the hero. The rock is carved out. It's small. It shatters the statue and then it covers the entire earth. It becomes that big. And so he gives the interpretation. Daniel interprets the statue dream to the king. He says, in your hands, God has placed mankind. The beasts of the field, the birds in the sky. This is verse 38 of chapter 2 of Daniel. It says, whenever they live, he made you ruler over them all. You are the head of gold. So who is the head of gold in the statue? Nebuchadnezzar. That's why it was so dazzling and beautiful. He probably looked at it and said, I love that statue, but why did it shatter? You know? And uh, so he was the head of gold. After you, another kingdom will arise inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom that is bronze will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. As the iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break the others. Just as you saw that your feet and toes were partly baked clay and partly iron... So there will be a divided kingdom, yet will have some strength of iron to it, even if you saw iron mixed with clay as the toes were partly iron, partly clay. So the kingdom will be partly strong, partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, people will be a mixture and will not, they will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. Nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all previous kingdoms and bring them to an end. But it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of the mountain, but not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true and the interpretation is trustworthy. Um, and administrators over the province of Babylon while Daniel, oh, hold on. So anyway, it goes after that. He ends up prostrating himself before Daniel, ends up honoring Daniel, uh, promoting him to the highest place that he could be promoted. Um, but here's the interpretation of that dream. He's telling the king of Babylon in the late 500s BC before Christ, he's saying that your kingdom will be overcame by an inferior kingdom. In fact, he goes into more detail later in the book that it's going to be the Persian kingdom. How many have ever heard of the Persian kingdom? So the Persian kingdom during the lifetime of Daniel ends up miraculously destroying the Babylonian empire and they become the kingdom. So how many see these are kingdoms he's talking about? Gold is a kingdom. The silver part of the man is a kingdom. The bronze part is a kingdom. And so we're getting consistently able to interpret prophecy. You guys are pretty excited you're interpreting prophecy. That's an awesome thing. Okay, and so we go on and then he says, the Persian Empire will be overtaken by the Greek Empire. And he goes into extreme detail over the course of Daniel 
about the Greek Empire. How many have ever heard of Alexander the Great? Don't get sleepy on me. I got people getting sleepy on me. Don't get sleepy on me. You got to know this stuff. Alexander the Great. How many have heard of him? Daniel in the late 500s prophesies Alexander the Great to the T. Tells everything about him. He tells about how he's going to die. Talks about how his generals are going to succeed him, four of them, and they're going to split it up in four different pieces. And, and, and Alexander the Great came along in 333 BC, which was like 250 years later. And so Daniel's given it in detail. Such detail that do you know Alexander the Great, uh, historians record that Alexander the Great said, go get me the ancient Hebrew scriptures because he wanted to read about himself. He wanted to read all the prophecies that were about him because he knew it in his lifetime that they were about him. They were 250-year-old prophecies. You say, well, that's not that old. You know, if we lived right now, 250-year-old prophecy would be the 1700s. How cool would it be to see something from the 1700s that told every detail about what's happening right now? And so Alexander the Great said, hey, pull those ancient scriptures so I can see about myself. And so he knew that four generals would succeed him because he read it in the Hebrew Scriptures. And when he died, they said, who will receive your kingdom? And he said, give it to the strong. And he died. That means fight for it. They fought for it and narrowed it down to four. And four different generals took his kingdom just like the Bible said. And so it's very detailed through the book of Daniel. So Daniel goes on. And, and in order to interpret Revelation, you've got to know a little more about Daniel. Okay, I'm giving you good stuff here. I know we've got people that are sleepy this morning, but I'm giving you good stuff here. Got to learn it. Daniel 7, the dream of four beasts. Four beasts. He goes through the same empires. And let me sum it up for you. He says, Babylon is a lion. He says that uh, Persia is a bear. And then he says, Greece is a leopard. And all those have characteristics of each of those kingdoms. And then he said, the last beast that I see, Daniel, in Daniel chapter 7, the last one I see is terrifying. And he's given a description of it, and he don't even know what the beast is. And when he sees this fourth beast, he said, after that, this is verse 7 of chapter 7, after that in my vision in the night, I looked and before me was a fourth beast. Terrifying. And these beasts are coming up out of the sea, a troubled sea, and one at a time they're presenting himself to him in his dream. And the fourth one, he says, was terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. Now stop right there. This is your dream, right? How scary is this dream? You're looking at a troubled water and world empires are coming out in the form of animals. So the first one comes out, it's a lion, and that's the Babylonian kingdom. Fierce, you know, and, and when they roared, I mean, they were the king, you know, they were, and there's characteristics of the lion that match up perfectly with that kingdom. In fact, that was their theme of that kingdom was the lion. And so then you see the Persian kingdom. Persian kingdom was the biggest of all of them as far as the length, the size of it. It was 127 provinces and every province had a lord. Every province had a king over it. And guess who was the king of kings? The Persian king. He was the king over all the kings of the 127 regions. So it was a world empire, huge and it was presented as a bear because of its characteristics. And then another one comes out of the water. And I want you to imagine you having this nightmare, this dream that Daniel's having. And he's okay when he sees a lion. I know a lion. I've seen a lion before. Yeah, Cyril used to take care of him, didn't you? Cyril, that'd be nothing to see that lion, you know. 
And then you see the bear, and you're like, oh, I've seen a bear before. And then a leopard, and leopard is fast, and, and they were really known for training leopards to hunt with and pull chariots with, and they had all kinds of things to do with leopards. They were known for the leopard, the Greek empire. Alexander the Great quickly took over the entire world, and by 30 he had conquered the world, and, and, and the leopard represented him, and everybody knew it. Everybody knew these kingdoms. Then the fourth one was like, oh, I haven't seen one of these before. The fourth one was terrifying, frightening, very powerful. It had iron teeth. You ever seen an animal with iron teeth? It crushed, devoured its victims, trampled underfoot wherever it left. It was different from all the other beasts. It had ten horns. And Daniel's like, wait a minute. I don't know any ten-horned animals here. Come on now. How many have ever seen a ten-horned animal? And then he says... Um, I was thinking about the horns there before me was another horn, a little one. He came up among them. And three of the horns were uprooted before it. The horn had eyes like eyes of a human being and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I looked, now look at this. The fourth beast hops up. It has ten horns and a little one is a prominent one, kind of jumps up and starts bragging. Okay, this is an interesting dream. He says, while I'm watching that, something totally different happened. Now thrones were being set in place, and the Ancient of Days, this is God, the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming like fire. Wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended his throne. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated. The books were opened, and I continued to watch Because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and his body destroyed, thrown into a blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority, but they were allowed to live for just a short period of time. In my vision at night, I looked and there before me was one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power over all the nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. How many of you know a lot of people stop with this little horn bragging and they don't even notice while the Antichrist kingdom is being established, God's like, okay, whatever they're doing, you know, let them do it, but I'm going to go and set up all my thrones here. And how many God know God is going to let it for a short time and then God is preparing to wipe out that kingdom and we're going to rule and reign with him over the entire earth. How many miss that with Revelation? Daniel's setting it up and he's saying, hey, look for this last kingdom, but you're looking for his last kingdom because Jesus Christ is about to be revealed. If we're close to it, then it's almost time, church. It's almost time for us. In fact, this whole scene is the heavenly scene where Jesus Christ walks in in the book of Revelation and John is crying because no one's able to open the books. And then he looks and he says, oh, behold, there's a lamb. He's worthy to open the books. And how many know we're the audience there? We've been taken up in the throne room of heaven. John says, I looked up and the door was open. And then all of a sudden a multitude crashes the throne room and the seven seals haven't been opened yet, but we're there, we're watching Jesus. Jesus is opening the seals and we're standing there in awe. We're worshiping ten thousands upon ten thousands ministering in his throne. We're in heaven and you say, well, wait a minute, Chad. I don't believe in the rapture. 
You know, there are a lot of people, when I preach on the rapture, I get all kinds of calls saying, Chad, the rapture doesn't happen. Well, you explain to me why Jesus says, I am taking you to a place that I prepared for you. It's in heaven. How many know when Jesus returns on this earth after the tribulation, how many know we're all with him? We don't go to heaven at that point. We come to the earth with him and we stay on the earth. But Jesus says, I go right now to prepare a place. And if I go there, you will be with me. And he says, in an hour that nobody knows, in a time that nobody knows, he says, there's going to come a moment in all of his parables on the Olivet Discourse. What did he keep saying? An hour that no one knows, an hour that no one knows. Be ready because I'm going to come. I'm going to take you with me. I didn't, uh, this, this, uh, wrath is not for you. You're not appointed to that. It's not for you to be here during that tribulation. He says, I'm going to come take you with me into heaven. And this is that heavenly scene. And then when he comes back at the end of the seven-year period, guess who is with him? It says we'll be with him forever. Wherever he's at is where we will be. We're coming from heaven, the armies of heaven. That's us if we're right with God. And we're not going to be here during that seven-year period. We're going to return and rule and reign with Christ from one end of this earth to the other. The meek will inherit the earth. And so many people are like, oh, Chad, I'm so scared. The Antichrist has so much power. And this kingdom they're setting up on this earth is so powerful. And, and oh, I mean, you know, this, this whole conspiracy of all these people taking over the earth. Can I tell you, God in the heavens laughs. He laughs. And boy, I wish I had more time. Let's see where I'm at here. 1220. Oh, wow. And so now we go to Revelation 17. I'm going to go a little faster here. But Daniel begins to see this fourth beast. And the fourth beast has ten horns, right? And it has seven heads. And so, you see the dragon has the same seven heads, the same ten horns. You see this beast that gets its power from the dragon has seven heads, ten horns, right? It's consistent. And then you get to Revelation chapter 17, and he starts to explain what are the seven heads. And you say, well, Chad, I've, and can I tell you something? If you're getting your theology from online, you're so confused at this point. Because there is not a consistent interpretation online to even know what's going on. In fact, you would be so confused if you didn't just read the Bible. And look at Revelation chapter 17. And I had so much more in my notes. But in Revelation chapter 17, he says, Then the angel carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast. All right, now you've got my attention. There's that word beast again. There's a woman on a beast in a desert, right? A red scarlet beast. It was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. Now, have we seen this beast somewhere before? 
Red beast, seven heads, ten horns, and now there's a woman on top of it. Right? The woman is dressed in purple and scarlet, glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. She held a golden cup in her hand, filled with abominable things and filth of of adulteries. The name written on her forehead has a mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes, abominations of the earth. I saw the woman was drunk with the blood of God's holy people and the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. When I saw her, I was astonished. Then the angel said to me, why are you astonished? I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and the beast she rides, which has seven heads and ten horns. So he's going to explain it to us. We don't have to go to the internet. Isn't that amazing? The beast which you saw once was, now is not, and yet will come up out of the abyss and go to its destructions. The inhabitants of the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the creation of the world will be astonished when they see the beast. Because it once was, now is not, and yet will come. This calls to mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven hills which a woman sits. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen. One, one is, the other has not yet come. But when he does come, he remain for a little while. The beast who once was, now is not, is the eighth king. He belongs to seven, is going to its destruction. You say, oh my goodness. That's tough. Okay, who is the woman? The woman, it's very clear, is Babylon, right? The woman is Babylon, and she's called the mother of harlots. So um, I'm going to make this as simple as I can so everybody understands, has a good enough knowledge to understand what's going on around you. Babylon... You have to go all the way back to the beginning of Genesis. And Babylon in the very beginning, um, after the flood, how many know after the flood there was Noah, his three sons, his wife, and their wives? There was Noah, his wife, three sons, and their wives, okay? So eight total were on the ark. And um, after they came off the ark, uh, Ham, which was one of the sons, had a son named Cush, Cush had a son named Nimrod. And between Cush and Nimrod, they originally started the original Babylonian Empire. This is the old empire. This is way before Nebuchadnezzar. He's called the Neo-Babylonian. They're the old Babylon. You say, well, man, why does Babylon have anything to do with me today? Because this is way back in the flood times, around 2400 B.C., Okay, so why is Babylon important and why is God still talking about it? There are two cities in the Bible that are mentioned more than any other cities. That's Babylon, like 280 times it's mentioned in the Bible, and the other one is Jerusalem. You're going to belong to one of those two cities. And God is wrapping up history with the destruction of the city called Babylon. Babylon was a world power, the first world kingdom ever under Nimrod, and it will be the last one ever in Revelation. It's called Babylon. She also is the mother of harlots. What does that mean? That word really means mother of prostitutes. 
mother of harlots. Uh, it's a very bad word. We don't like to say on a Sunday morning. But this is where false, listen to me very carefully, this is where false religion originated. There was a prophecy in the book of Genesis that God was going to send his son. God would come from heaven to earth as a man. He would die from a virgin. He would be a virgin born, seed of a woman he would be born, which is impossible. That means they're, you choose the seed of a man you're born by. But he was going to have a miraculous birth. He was prophesied. It's the first prophecy in the Bible, Genesis 3.15. And at the time of Nimrod, guess what happened? Nimrod, Semiramis, and Tammuz, their son, they claimed he was the savior of the world. And you say, well, this isn't that big of a deal. It's a massive deal. The whole world began to reject God He had a kingdom only in that region. Everybody was in that region. Babylon hadn't scattered them yet. They set up a kingdom there, a one-world kingdom and a one-world religion. And the religion was the worship of that child, Tammuz, who she claimed was supernaturally born. So Satan had a counterfeit. Satan made a false religion in Babylon. And then Nimrod is said to have went and been the founder of Assyria. He also is said to have went to Egypt and become the founder. So those seven heads, um, how many know that every one of those different nations that are mentioned, that are those seven heads, Egypt, Assyria, um, Greece, Rome, Babylon, there's seven of them. How many know that all of those false religions, all of those different nations, Egypt, Assyria, all of them, they had the same deity that came out of Babylon, Nimrod, Semiramis, Tammuz, and every one they had a false trinity of the Godhead that came from Babylon. It was a false religion, and then their, their language was scattered. So in every religion, they changed their name to a different Godhead. So in every Godhead, it comes from Babylon. How many know she's the originator of false religion? And you say, that's so awesome. Um, <clears throat> I don't have that false religion because I don't do the Babylonian thing. But here's the thing. Every agnostic, every atheist, every false religion, everything that lifts itself up and says that Jesus Christ is not the Savior of this world is part of Babylon. And so in the last days, the UN probably is going to be the vehicle The UN right now has what's called the United Religions Initiative. They also have what's called the World Council of Churches. And how many know right now they're rounding up all of the uh, mainstream religions that don't exclusively say that Jesus Christ is Lord and they're all united right now. They're united together. How many know the Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, uh, uh, parts of the Catholic Church, parts of the Protestant Church, all around the world are currently united in an agreement that we all have a path to God. Let's just hold hands and let's just all agree. And they all 100% right now have agreement. The only problem is we won't fit in in that. And when the church is gone, guess who's going to step on the scene? The mother of harlots. If you're the mother of harlots, what does that tell you? 
Very simple. You're a mommy. It means you have little girls. The mother of harlots also has daughters. And every false religion in the world, Hinduism is a false religion. It dates all the way back to the Babylonians. Look it up. Buddhism, back to false religion of Babylon. Catholicism, in its history, mixed with... uh, It went from Babylon to Assyria, uh, back to Babylon, back to the uh, Persians, down to the Greeks, into the Romans. How many know it was all deposited into the Roman uh, pantheon of gods? And so this false religion from Babylon... Islam is not, in fact, you can look it up, Islam is not even an Abrahamic religion. Like everybody says it is, look up the history, it's not an Abrahamic religion. There was one, from the very beginning, the Bible said there would be one Messiah, one Savior. Um, It follows from Genesis all the way to the current day, and that one person is Jesus Christ. He's Lord of all. And, and, And in 1 John, we were talking about it yesterday, in 1 John... The identifying factor of Antichrist is that he'll reject Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world. And so there's going to be a world religion. This is what the mother of harlots is. It's a world religion that's going to say, you have to agree with us or they're literally going to kill you. And so when the church is gone, guess who's going to step up? And guess why she has a cup full of blood that's the blood of believers? Because she's very hastily going through the world and on behalf of the beast and the Antichrist system, she's putting to death anybody that doesn't agree. If you say that Jesus is Lord, that's too exclusive. In fact, right now, that's the one no-no of being part of United Religions Initiative is you can't exclusively say that Jesus is Lord. There's many ways to God. But Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way to the Father but by me. And so let me tell you, I'm just warning you. You say, well, Chad, why are you saying this? You're trying to make me mad? No, what I'm trying to say is this is the truth of the Word of God. There's one way to the Father. There's one Messiah. There's one Savior of mankind. His name is Jesus Christ. It's been that way from the beginning. Uh, He was there with God. He created the heavens. He created the earth. He's been there from the beginning. He's the preeminent one. He is the anointed one. Uh, he is the one that's going to come set up his kingdom. And if you reject him as the only way, um, you're, you're either part of Babylon or part of Jerusalem. You're either a citizen of God or you're a citizen of this world. And God is saying, choose the cup of the Lord, the cup of devils. And the Lord is saying, choose to be faithful to me. That's the woman that's faithful to him. And this harlot is every false religion, every agnostic, every atheist. How many know that's what that harlot is? It's saying that there's another way to be saved that's not Jesus Christ. And so that's what we're seeing in the end of Revelation. And see the end of this. This uh, religious leadership um, works on behalf of the beast. But one thing that a lot of people don't notice is um, somewhere in the middle of that tribulation, uh, the Antichrist turns on the woman, turns on these united religions, and uh, it says he devours her. In fact, he had no use for her in the beginning aside from to use her. Uh, he says, no, all worship needs to come to me. And Satan kind of reveals his true colors midway through the tribulation and says, no, it was all about worshiping me. <laughs> you know, all this worship was for me. And, he, and it says he devours the woman and kills her. And so all those who were standing on behalf of the Antichrist, he ends up devouring them in the end. And then guess what? Jesus Christ says, okay, it's time to set up my kingdom. 
That was your last run. <laughs> and how many know the Lord sets up his kingdom? Hallelujah. And I know I've went long this morning. Praise the Lord. Stand to your feet. Hallelujah. <clears throat> and I apologize. This is the hardest thing to teach on a Sunday morning. I only went five minutes over, though. That's not bad. But we got to know this. Hallelujah. <clears throat> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you, Lord. And um, Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, you said your word is so simple, a fool need not make a mistake. And Lord, I just pray right now that um, your people would be equipped with the future in their hands, Lord, the confidence that only comes from you, Lord, Jesus. You are the only way, the only truth, the only life. You are the one who was prophesied from the beginning. And Lord, today we commit ourselves, Lord, to your kingdom, your authority, your glory forever, Lord. Hallelujah. Help us today. All right, church, as your eyes are closed and your head is bowed, I just want to ask you today. Is your life devoted to the one? You know, the one that... uh, In fact, I don't know if we think about this, but Jesus had to die. And the Bible says he descended into the belly of the earth. How many know that? And released. And and the Bible says that, that he led captivity captive. That basically he delivered all those who trusted in him. He delivered them to heaven. Hallelujah. How many know that trust in Jesus Christ is the only hope that we have today? And I just want to ask you today, are things in this world distracting you? Are you a citizen of Babylon? Are you waiting for that day? Is your hope in the Lord or is your hope in this world? Is your hope in your future in Jesus Christ or is your hope in your future in your bank account? Is your hope in your future into your friends or some other thing, and the Lord says today, um, it can only be Him. And so I just want you to take the time this morning, if you need me to pray with you. Say, man, I'm not right with the Lord this morning, Chad. I need to get right with the Lord. That's what we're here for. If uh, maybe you've taken your eyes off the Lord, today would be a great day just to kneel down or just pray and say, Lord, I commit my life to You because I'm telling you right now, He'll come at an hour that we don't expect. And we need to be ready for His coming. We need to be ready when the Lord comes for His people. We need to be ready. Hallelujah. Let's just take a little time to worship the Lord for one song. And then uh, if you need prayer, I'll be up here for you. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I'm going to close in a word of prayer. But um, I just want to tell you, this is very... uh, very difficult when you're preaching this content it goes really fast you say man you've been preaching for an hour but it goes so fast and I'm so disappointed every time because I'm compressing so much in one hour and truthfully I could teach eight hours today and 
still barely touch the surface. And I know it's difficult because I, I can tell when I get into history, a lot of times I see people tune out. I just see that. I'm sorry, but I I could go for eight hours and barely touch the surface. There's so much information I wish that I could just teach for hours and hours and hours because it would benefit you so much. It would benefit us in this hour to know the Bible so thoroughly. And and like I said, it's just so much to compress in an hour. I'm disappointed by the time I'm done. Oh, I wish I could have covered so much. Now I've got to wait till the next week. And, And church, there's so much there. I'm glossing over so much information and I've got to selectively pick because, you know, I'm trying to keep it down to a certain time. The church, keep studying that Bible. Keep uh, asking questions. You know, some of the things you heard today, if it piqued your interest, ask me. You can talk to me away from here for hours and I'll be fine. I love the Bible. I love talking about the Bible. So let's just go to the Lord in prayer. Stay hungry and and, and, and try try to read your Bibles and Try to understand it for yourself because we're, we're going into a time like I think the world has never seen. We've got to be ready. We've got to be, you know, read up in our word and we've got to be prayed up in the Holy Spirit and we've got to be ready for the questions the world's going to ask us. They're looking everywhere for answers and we're the answers. You know, we're the ones that have to give them the answer, right? We need to tell them what's happening and what's up around us here. So let's go to Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we love you and, uh, Lord, I just pray that you supernaturally, Lord, give us understanding. Lord, give us an appetite like we've never had for your word. Lord, make us hungry for your presence. Oh, Father, I pray that you just do a work among your people, Lord. Oh, Father, we're hungry, Lord. For more of you, Lord. To reach the lost, Lord. To reach this community, Lord God. Lord, do a mighty work in your church. Oh, Lord, let your spirit begin to flow right now. Holy Spirit, begin to flow through your people. Lord, fill them full of your Holy Spirit right now. Do a mighty work, Lord, in all of us. Lord, as we go, Lord, in your name, do your work, Lord. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. And everybody said, 